So last week, we began our series called Momentum. So just as a review, momentum is mass times velocity. P equals M times V. I had a few of you tell me this week that that was too much math to get back into your mind. And so don't panic. Spiritual math. God always wins. I don't know. That's somehow the math always works. So this idea that when mass and velocity get moving, that the energy will be transferred from one thing to the next. And so we built this life-size Newton's cradle, which is awesome. And so last week, if you missed it, I just want to show you that it actually works. So if you take one bowling ball and you hit the rest, you're supposed to go, ooh, ah, (laughs) Then if you take the mass, if you increase the mass and you have two bowling balls, which is twice the amount, and you let the velocity go, the momentum is enough to make two bowling balls go the other direction. All right, who wants to see three? It's impressive. All right, here we go. Now the three will mess with your mind a little bit because the mass times the velocity of three will send three the other direction. That's what I like to hear, the excitement. And then, of course, I just have to do this every week, even five, even five. All right, there it goes. Okay, even five will do. And so what we're talking about is spiritual momentum. So I'm just going to recap quickly for you in case you missed last week. Spiritual momentum comes when we take our life that God is transforming. We are the mass, and we put velocity behind it by the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we get in motion And we move forward with Jesus. And not only do we move forward, but our mass and our velocity will then affect other bowling balls and will continue to move forward. And so our effect on other people, our effect on our city, our effect in our community can begin to be greater and gain momentum. And in fact, the early church, spiritual momentum was created by the preaching of the word of God, the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and a strong confidence of faith in God. And so that's what we are unpacking over these next few weeks. The very first week, last week, we talked about the F in the word faith. Does anyone remember what the F stood for? It's on your notes if you need to cheat. Yell it out. Freedom. All right, look at the person next to you and be like, freedom, because you didn't yell it very much. All right, there you go. Freedom. So we talked about spiritual freedom, and we talked about that sin and shame is what binds us up and what begins to take away our spiritual freedom, but that we don't have to be in bondage of sin and shame, that we can repent of our sin and confess, and that we don't have to carry that shame because Jesus carried that shame for us. It's already done. It's already been taken away. Don't pick it back up. It's already been taken. And many of you came forward, and we uh, put some anointing oil on your forehead, and we declared that together we are going to move forward as a family of God, that we are going to move in freedom. And so today, we're going to the letter A, and I broke down that word faith into an acronym, and today's letter is A, and the word is action. The word is action, and so we're going to unpack that a little bit today. But each of these messages over the next four weeks come from the book of Romans, Romans 8. Raise your hand if you read some of Romans 8. Some of you this week, all right, great. Some of Romans 8. I want to encourage you to read that chapter. I want to encourage you to study it, to interact with it, listen to it, put it on your Bible app, and it just kind of plays while you're driving. 
Um, talk to some people about it. The staff is actually memorizing Romans 8, so you can heckle them later if you know anybody that works here. Do they know Romans 8? Because together, we are trying to get the Word of God into us. And so today, we're going to talk about spiritual action. So what I'd like to do is we're going to focus on Romans 8, 12 through 17. So if you have your Bible or if you have um, the handout that you got on your way in, if you could follow along. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, and the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So what we're going to start today is talk about things that hinder momentum. So the cradle will stay remarkably still today until we get to the end. But don't be, don't be confused. Don't be deceived. The sermon illustration will still speak very loudly. It will do exactly what we intended it to do. Because what I want to talk about today is what happens when momentum stops. What happens when our spiritual lives look a little bit like this? When nothing is moving, what gets us there? What hinders momentum? And so there are a couple things I thought of. Um, first, busyness. Busyness. We often are so caught up in keeping up. Am I right? We're so caught up in keeping up. Our schedules are full to the brim. There's always something going on to choose before we decide to invest in our relationship with God. No matter what, very rarely will you be sitting around on a Wednesday night and go, hmm, I have nothing to do. I think I'll go to church. There, there will always be something that is activity, and too much activity has a way of drowning out God's voice and a way of hindering our momentum. All right, how about this? Discouragement. Maybe this is where you are today. We find ourselves in a rut, maybe in a depression, which creates this feeling of not wanting to move at all. I don't know about you, but when I'm discouraged or down, you will find me in my bed with the covers over my head <laughs> because I don't want to deal with anything. I don't want to deal with any kind of movement. I just want to sit there and be still and sit in discouragement. And we can settle in an attitude and we can face such dark days that momentum can come to a grinding halt. How about this? Pride. Sometimes success in life and success in relationships, the very opposite of discouragement, can lead us to this false sense that we no longer need God's daily guidance. Things are going pretty good. I'm good. I don't really need to get to church. I don't really need to get in the word. I don't really need to pray because what I prayed for, God answered. And so we're all set. And sometimes that very success that we feel begins to let, have us be less dependent upon God. And when our dependence upon God ceases, so does momentum. And maybe we're in the very spot that we feel like things are looking up and things are feeling good, but our momentum has just stopped because we are no longer dependent on God. Now, there are others. 
There are lists and lists of others that we could talk about for sermons and sermons and sermons. But I believe that the major thing that freezes momentum is found in the first part of Romans 8:15. And so I want to relook at that verse. It says this: The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Fear. Fear freezes, delays, reroutes, downright derails momentum. Fear is probably the thing that I have found in my own life and that I have seen in others that causes the most resistance to momentum than anything else I have seen. And in Romans 8:15, the word used for slave, so it says the spirit you received does not make you slaves. That word used for slave is Greek. And it's this word, dulius. So try to say it. We're all going to sound silly. Okay, dulius. All right, if you have it on your notes, mark it, circle it, make, make a little note of it. Because here's what that means. It means someone living under a yoke or a spirit of bondage. So the spirit of God doesn't, this is what it says, the spirit of God doesn't make you someone who lives under a yoke. It doesn't make you someone who has a spirit of bondage. The spirit of God doesn't make you someone who is fearful. It, makes you, it does not make you someone who is full of fear. And actually, fear is at the root of the meaning of slave. Fear is the root of that word. To be a slave is to be under the power or the burden of fear. That's what it actually means. Fear comes in so many forms. We, we can be fearful of so many things. You know, scary movies or the dark or being home alone or spiders. How many of you, there's a spider this big and you are running in the other direction? Anybody? All right, you don't want to admit it, but I know you're out there. Or heights. There's actually even a, a technical fear for peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I don't know. Perhaps you wrestle with more internal fears, more significant fears. We all have something. But fear is just false evidence appearing real. I'm kind of into these acronyms lately. False evidence appearing real. That's what fear is. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wrestled with the fear of failure? Have you ever wrestled with the fear of failure? You've wanted to do something, dream something, pursue a person or a passion. You wanted to, to pursue something that's just been inside of you, but you are frozen in the possibility that it might not work. And so you do nothing. And your momentum just stands there. You've lost momentum. You're stuck. You know, Jesus told a parable, and it helps illustrate the cost of the fear of failure. He, he told a story, you might be familiar with it, about a guy who went on a journey, and he called three people in, and he gave each of the guys five talents. Let me take that back. To one guy, he gives five talents. To another guy, he gives two talents. And to the third guy, he gives one talent. So he gives five to one, two to one, and one to one. And he says, I'm going away. I want you to take care of business. And so the first two guys evidently had overcome the fear of failure and in this area of their life, and they went out and they took some risks. They invested what they had. They, they doubled their initial principle. They ended up making profit. They, had, they, they invested in it. They got something in return. But the third guy, he was afraid of failure. And like many of us, he was paralyzed with fear. He, he lost all momentum. And instead of taking a venture, instead of taking a faith risk, he played it safe. And the scripture says he buried his talent. 
He, he buried it. And the master came back. And this is how the story goes. It's in Matthew 25. The man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, and so I was afraid. He, he was afraid of failing. He was afraid of failing. And he said, see, uh, here's, what, here's what belongs to you. I, I have what belongs to you. I, I didn't lose any of it. Here it is. And maybe you would have thought that the master would have said, good job, you played it safe, you you didn't risk anything, I'm proud of you for guarding what I gave you, thank you for giving it back. But actually, quite the opposite, the scripture says that he looked at him and he said, you wicked and lazy servant, take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten. The fear of failure paralyzed this guy, and that which he guarded, he ended up losing it all in the end. He was a slave to fear, and he lost his momentum. He was a slave to failure. And I have this sense that there is some people in this room today who know there's something that God wants you to do, and you're afraid it's not going to work out, and and you have just stopped all of your progress with it. And I want you to hear me say this morning that God has not given you a spirit of fear. You are no longer a slave to fear. We read that, and we sang that. And that fear of failure doesn't have to stop your momentum anymore. It doesn't have to grip your heart and make you stuck. Because God has given us a spirit of adoption, of which we cry, Abba, Father. That's what the scripture says. Okay, how about this one? How about fear of rejection? Anyone ever have fear of rejection? Maybe this is the fear that has stopped your momentum. In the Old Testament, there's a guy who had potential to be one of the greatest kings of all time. It was King Saul. But his greatest weakness is that he was paralyzed with the fear of being rejected. He always was wondering, what are people going to think? Are they going to like me? What are they going to think about my shoes? (laughs) Maybe he didn't think that. But he had all of these moments where he was just so afraid what people were going to think. And at one point, because of fear of what people thought, he rejected God's commands, and Samuel came to him. And Samuel had this kind of heart-to-heart with him. And this is what King Saul said in 1 Samuel 15, 24. He has this moment where he realizes that's what he's doing, and he repents and he confesses, and he says, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command, and I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. How often do we do that? How often are we so afraid of what people think, so rather than do the right thing, or the thing that we know God is telling us to do, we do what we think they want us to do? Or we say what we think they want us to say? And there we are just in the, the, this fear of rejection, making decisions. Maybe even you're having moments where you're saying, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know why I'm acting this way. But it's this deep sense that if you don't do it, they will somehow reject you. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. And that word snare is also the word for trap. It's like God was saying to us, it's a trap. It's a trap. Don't fall for it. If you are constantly thinking about what people are going to say or think or how they're going to respond to you or what you should do because other people are going to have a response, it is a trap. Fear of rejection is a trap that can cost us our very spiritual life. Fear of rejection puts us in this position where we are not moving spiritually at all. I love this story, and 
I probably told it to you before, so this is just a reminder, but it's one of the greatest evangelists of modern history. His name was G. Campbell Morgan. And, and you know, maybe that's not a household name, we don't really know that name, but he spread the gospel in such a significant way that he's in history books all over. And this is a true story. In, in 1888, he stood before three men who had the power to determine if he could be a pastor. They were going to determine, was he called to preach or was he not called to preach? My life right now, I can relate to this man, okay? <laughs> Here I am. And, and he stood with these other young, hopeful preachers. And they all preached. I'm sure they preached their guts out. They, they came with their best sermon illustration. And at the end of the day, they posted on a, on a board if they were accepted or rejected. And G. Campbell Morgan went and he looked for his name on the accepted list, which I think is pretty optimistic. He'll start with the accepted list. And it was not there. And some of you know that feeling. Some of you poured your heart out and your life in a certain direction, maybe to a certain person, maybe in a certain major, maybe in a certain job, and you got rejected Someone told you you didn't have what it takes. Someone made you feel like they wish that you would go away, that you were not welcome there, that, that, that they wished you never worked for them or, or you wished you never came into their life. Someone made you feel that way. And, and G. Campbell Morgan was crushed. He was crushed. He, he checked the second list just to make sure that they didn't just completely forget and there his name was, rejected. And just devastated, he sent his dad a telegram um, which is like a text message if you're from the 90s. Okay, if you're born in the 90s. He sends him a telegram, just one word, rejected. And a few days later, it took a little longer in that time, his very wise father sent a telegram back, and this is what it said, and it changed G. Campbell Morgan's life forever. The telegram simply said, rejected by men, accepted by God. Fear of man is a trap. It's a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord, that one is kept safe. That's what the scripture says. No matter what you think about me, God says I am acceptable through Jesus. And that is the position in which we stand. All right, how about uh, maybe, maybe you don't struggle with fear of, of failure. Maybe you don't struggle with fear of rejection. Um, how about fear of intimacy? Maybe you struggle with Fear of intimacy, maybe that's what has stopped your movement as a child of God. Maybe that's what stopped your movement as a worker for God's kingdom. Now, don't raise your hand or anything, because that could get awkward, but how many of you have ever been really hurt in a relationship? Been, been really burned? Maybe it was a friendship. You, you guys, you thought that you could really count on this person, and they let you down in a way that, that you just felt was so significant. Maybe it was a marriage, Maybe some of you are sitting here today and, and you just, it, you can barely concentrate on what I'm saying because all you're doing is going back over and over and over about how fearful you are of where your marriage is headed. Maybe it was a romantic relationship. The pain of a broken relationship is one of the greatest pains and hurts that we can experience and that is because we're made for relationship. So when things like that break, it's pain that is insurmountable. And if you have been hurt, we can become so afraid to get close to people again. 
We, we can get to the point, if we've been hurt before, if our trust has been betrayed, that somehow we transfer all of that to every relationship in our life. One guy treats you bad, they're all scumbags, you know? Every one of them. Well, one, one relationship you have that doesn't work out the way that you thought it would, and all of a sudden everybody's the enemy. I told one person a secret and they leaked it. You must have to leak my secret too. And we just want to curl up in a ball emotionally, hope no one ever cracks us, and stay still. That's what fear of intimacy does. It can cause us to be distant. It can cause us to be defensive. It can cause us to stop momentum. And in order to overcome this fear, we have to take relational risks. Because we cannot be in control and achieve intimacy. We, we could be hurt, but, but it's the risk that we can't afford not to take. Because when we begin to not have relationships with other people, which is what we're created for, that affects our relationship with God. If you decide that I will never get close to anyone again, that will stop your momentum in your relationship with Jesus. Because that is what he created us to do. Now, before you take a relational risk, you have to find security and acceptance and intimacy in Christ. And before you risk, you can risk out of a place of strength, of security, of of acceptance, of intimacy with Jesus. Some guy asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? Of everything, what's the most important? I love this type of personality. This is my husband's personality. Just give me the bottom line. You know, I don't need to know how you felt the whole way you were there. Just tell me the bottom line. Are they coming over or not? You know, he just kind of has this bottom line mentality. And this is what I think this guy is saying to Jesus. He says, of everything, what's the most important thing you're saying? And Jesus replies in Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second most important thing is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. We start with intimacy with Jesus and then we have intimacy with others. Don't miss this. If you don't accept yourself, if you don't find intimacy with Christ, then you won't be able to get close to anyone else. If you're constantly criticizing yourself, you will be convinced that everyone is criticizing you. If you don't trust yourself, you're never going to trust anybody else. But if we can find security and acceptance and intimacy in Christ, we can kill the fear of intimacy. So those are just some of the fears that cause momentum to stop. And I've been praying this week that God would bring to your mind what it is that is causing your momentum to stop, what fear it is that that you have in your own life, because we all struggle with different ones. But I do know this, for every fear, if we sat down and everyone could share what their fear was, we're not going to do that, don't panic. But if we were, the answer to all those would be this, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is not from God. Fear is from our spiritual enemy. So how do we cure it? How do we cure it? Well, we'll look back in Romans 8, 15. It says this, The spirit you received doesn't make you slaves, doesn't make you bound to fear so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Adoption cures fear. All right, let's get this baby moving again, all right? Because this is what happens. Adoption cures fear. Adoption gets things going again when we begin to realize that our identity, who we are, Christ has adopted us, and we no longer have that spirit of fear. 
In the Roman world, I thought this was really interesting, in the first century, an adopted son was a deliberately chosen by the adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit the estate. So the Romans went out and they handpicked people to adopt. They said, oh, you're strong. You'll be able to finish my, my farm. You'll be able to, to do the things I need to do. I'm adopting you. Come into my family. And under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all the rights to his old family and gained all the new rights to his new family. In fact, all of the debt that the adopted son came into the family with was wiped away. And he came in with none of his past counting against him anymore, and he didn't bring any baggage with him. Do you see why God used this example to explain what he does for us? It's such a beautiful example because that's what was happening in the culture. And I think even now this is such a strong word picture for us. I was going to have a family uh, to come up here and talk about what it was like when they adopted their children. And there were so many of you out there I couldn't pick. Because you, you, have, you have had this moment where, where you have... Uh, realized that that is something that Jesus asks us to do. And so many people in our church family have taken on the call of their life to adopt children and to bring them into the family. And, and I find that just so beautiful. So thank you. If you are an adopted parent, thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving us examples so that we can see what Jesus means in this particular passage. But, but I, I bet if I brought you up here, this is what you would say, that that child you brought in that child gets to eat anything they want. That child gets to eat you out of house and home. That child wears his boots all over the carpet, right, and puts mud all over it, just like a, a biological child would. That, that that child has every right that you would give any child in your home. That adopted child gains all the new rights into the new family. And so the word picture still is so incredible for us. And this verse in Romans 8 is telling us that the adoption papers have been signed for us. No more litigation. No more paperwork. The Spirit of God has sealed our adoption. If you have believed in Jesus Christ and you've put your faith in him and confessed that you're a sinner and he has bridged the gap between you and new life, that the Spirit of God has sealed your adoption and there is no part of God you do not have access to. That there is nothing that God will now withhold from us that we are handpicked to inherit the estate, that our past is wiped out, our debts canceled, and we are welcome into the new family with love and acceptance. And because of that security, adoption cures fear. That we are no longer in bondage of a heavy yoke of slavery because we are delivered into a new family. And our sonship has both a present and a future dimension. Uh, Paul explains in Galatians 4, Galatians 4, 1 through 7, read that this week, that there is a time when a son is kept under guardians and managers until the time comes for him to be put in authority. So it's talking about the the cycle of life, that there's a time you grow up and you learn these things from your parents and then, and then you get put into authority after you've learned and he is kept there until release. And the process Paul refers to is adoption in Galatians 4. And it says that when Christ returns to the earth to rule over it, that we will receive our full adoption as sons and we will rule with him. Having sonship on earth is a marvelous blessing and a privilege, but that is only part of it. 
that there is so much more to come because we are adopted into the family of God. Keeping that forefront in our minds gives us this long-term anticipation that not only are we sons now, but when Christ comes and rules the earth, we're going to rule with him because we are sons, because we're adopted into the family of God. Adoption cures fear. Knowing we are adopted, we have all the access to God. We have all the access to the power that he gives, and we can start momentum again. We don't have to be stuck. See you later, fear of failure. I'm adopted by God. Forget about it, fear of rejection. doesn't matter. I'm adopted by God. We can begin to show that momentum again. All right, secondly, action cures fear. Action cures fear. What type of action? Let me give you some examples. The action of prayer. That's why we're focusing on prayer Wednesday evenings at 6.30. If you were here this Wednesday, it was a great time. We were in here worshiping, and we were praying, and we, and we saw a video about prayer, and then we put it into action. That's why in a few short weeks, we're going to have some guests from the International House of Prayer. They're going to be here the first weekend of February. And on that weekend, we're going to have workshops and things that will help us energize our prayer life. And then we're going to have a special worship service Saturday night, Super Bowl Eve, Okay, and we're going to get together and we're going to pray and we're going to worship and we're going to we're going to just begin to to activate the momentum in our lives. Action, acting in prayer, getting your priorities right, setting that alarm just a little bit earlier, putting sticky notes in your car so you remember anything that it takes reminders on your phone, put things in places so that you are activating your prayer. Secondly, the action of fasting. Now, fasting is going without something that you would typically have. Uh, some fast from food. Some fast from fast food. That's a joke, okay. Some fast from certain foods. There's a Daniel fast, different things. Some fast entertainment. Some fast Facebook. Some fast television. There are so many things, but just choose something that hurts a little bit to lose. Don't fast from like your in-laws or something. Okay, that's not a good decision. <laughs> fast from something that hurts a little bit to lose. I love my in-laws. They're the best. So that wasn't a personal joke. But this action will cure fear. In fact, our church is going to fast together starting next Sunday after we have our lunch together in the gym and have our family meeting. We're going to start then and fast the whole week until January 29th, that next Sunday. And I want to encourage you to start thinking now, what will you give up? What, what will you fast to begin to let action cure fear? Ultimately building momentum in your life. We're going to fast so that we can build momentum in our spiritual life, build momentum in our church, and build momentum in our families. That's why we're fasting. All right, how about this? The action of study. The action of study, getting into a small group of people who study God's word. Um, in a few weeks, we're going to launch our men's and women's Bible studies on Wednesday night. Also, we, we're going to launch an excellent parenting class that Betty Lou Fox is going to um, kind of manage and, and get us going with that. And if you're, if you're a youth or you have a youth, 
On Wednesday nights, right now, every week, they have a, a, a Bible-centered experience so that youth can begin to study God's Word in creative ways. If you're new to the faith, we're going to launch um, some starting point small groups just for you so that you can sit with some people who have been following God for a long time and you can ask the questions that you have. Um, Celebrate Recovery will be starting soon, which is a, a place where if you have a habit or a hang-up or a hurt and you need just someone to process with an addiction or things like that, that's starting. And so we have all of these opportunities for you. So get to a place where there's an action of study, of getting in and studying the Word of God for yourself. In fact, the action for you today might be to, on the back of your card, it's not even a box. You just write on there, call me, and we will, and help you see where you can get plugged in, where it fits best for you and your family. And that action will build momentum again. Action and knowing we are adopted both cure fear. But we have to do it. We have to have the action to do it. I want to look back at Romans 8, 16 through 17 as we close up today. And it says this, that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The Spirit of God makes us children of God, and because of that, we share in the sufferings and in the glory of God. What, a, what an honor. I want to close with this. In the book of Judges, there's a man named Gideon, and he is living in constant fear. He, he is living in constant loss of momentum. In fact, he has lost so much momentum that he is stuck in a wine press. He's hiding out. He thinks God forgot about him, and he is just hiding out in this wine press, hoping that he, no one comes to find him, hoping uh, no one comes to steal his wheat. And the whole nation is in this grip, this era, this culture of fear. And they're so afraid of the unknown. They're so afraid of failure. And in this era of fear, God sends a prophet. God sends a prophet. And the prophet says this, let me remind you about your God. He has delivered you when all things were lost. He has kept you safe when there was trouble. He has provided for you. He has protected you. Do you remember? Do, do you remember who God is? Can you remember? And an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon doesn't feel like a mighty hero. He's probably looking over his shoulder thinking, are you talking to me? Because I'm just hiding over here in this wine press. And he thinks God has left him. And the angel speaks perfectly to his situation. And as I was studying that this week, I began to think of the culture and the era of fear that I believe that we live in, that I believe that the media wants us to, to be afraid to fly because people put guns in their luggage. And when you get off at the, the luggage rack, you, there was a, a tragedy in Fort Lauderdale and, and someone just began to shoot. All of a sudden, we're afraid to fly. 
We're, we're afraid of the economy. What's going to happen when the new president takes authority? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? What if we don't have a job? What if this happens? We're afraid of nuclear war. Korea's got this nuclear war, and what are we going to do with that? We're afraid to send our children to school. We're, we're afraid of all of these things. We're, we're afraid to put our money in the bank, because what if the bank goes corrupt? We're, we just live in this culture of fear. And I believe this morning that God has sent me as a prophet to remind you that he has delivered you from all fear. Erie First Assembly, he will take care of you. He will protect you. That God is bigger than our fears. That he is undefeated. And not only is God with you, he is for you. And there is no need for fear of intimacy. Even if you're here today and you are so brokenhearted and someone has treated you so poorly, I am so sorry for that. But I want you to know this morning that there is no need to fear intimacy because God is forgiving and healing and thoughtful and patient. And there is no need for rejection because God is accepting unconditionally beyond measure that we are rejected by man but accepted by God. And there is no need for fear of failure because God is the God of a million chances and he invites risk and he is our strength and our weaknesses and he uses the weak to shame the strong. And there is no need for fear of the unknown because he holds the whole world in his hands and he's never, ever missed a single beat. And the God who judges all the earth and calls the coastlands to give account the God who rules the rulers of history, the God who calls the nations of earth into being because he is the first and the last, the God who calls his own people and makes himself their God freely and graciously, that God says to us who believe, I am your God. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. I am your God over you. I am with you by your side. I will strengthen you from the inside of you. I will help you all around wherever the enemy comes. I will uphold you from underneath you, over you, by you, inside you, around you, underneath you. Therefore, do not fear. God is greater than your personality. God is greater than your past experiences of timidity. And God is greater than anything you face, and God calls you to fearlessness. Today is a new day. It will bring brand new blessings and brand new battles. But within every uncertainty, there is hidden possibility. So I don't dread any challenge that lies ahead because I remember all the victories behind. And my confidence is not in my circumstance. The Spirit of God is my supply. I'm steady under pressure and I'm ready for whatever because whatever comes my way today, the outcome is I overcome. Christ is in me. I am enough. I can handle it. I can't afford to stay afraid or let my faith hesitate. My purpose is at stake. And he who called me is faithful. His strength in me is greater than any pain I feel or enemy I face. The promise of God is mine for the taking. Every plan he has made is guaranteed to come to pass. It will happen. If I don't back down, if I won't let go, it will happen. If I don't stop short, if I won't sell out, it will happen by faith. But faith doesn't take the 
blessings. My focus is fixed and my heart is expected. I'm set. I'm not nervous about what's next because my eyes are on the throne. I trust the one who's in complete control, the one who already knows how he's going to work it according to his purpose. Even the worst situations are sure to turn in my favor. If I keep moving forward, keep moving toward him, God is with me in this moment. And whatever happens, I can handle it. I know my help comes from above. So if fear insists on knocking, I'll meet it at the door. Life might give me bad news, but I've still got a good report. I can handle it. If I fall, if I fail, I'll handle it. Grace will give me what it takes to carry on. I can handle it. I have humbled myself under the mighty hand of God. Christ is in me. I am enough. And when the time is right, he'll lift me up. Till then, the lion may roar, but I see his leash, so I keep moving forward. Because I've been down before, but my hope knows how to bounce back from rock bottom. What I need, God's got it. And I'm stronger, I'm better, it's settled, I'm ready, I'm focused, I'm hopeful, no hiding. I'm ready, I'm stronger, I'm better, it's settled. stand with me. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you have given us a spirit of adoption and not of fear. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would seal this truth in our hearts. And as we face these things this week, we could meet them at the door with the full strength and courage in knowing that you give us all that we need to face it. God, help us know we are adopted. Help us have the action that we need to move forward. And God is with these things. We trust you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.